You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. I was just in worship then. It's not been lost on me that what, what we're about to hear tonight from the Word uh, is exactly the same sort of words that have changed the course of history. And we're going to see that in a second. And I don't know about you, but often I come into this place on a Sunday and it's easy to go through the routines and it's easy to think that we're just doing church on the corner of Crowsness. It's easy to think that these are just words on a funny old duddy book, but we're going to see that the lives of people that have read these words have done things that have changed the course of history. And... There, there's there's a burden in this that uh, just became a little bit more apparent to me 30 seconds before about to preach a message, so I'm going to pray. <laughs> Father, uh, help, help us. Uh, help me take these words that have literally shaped the course of history and to deliver them faithfully, Heavenly Father. Prepare hearts and minds now as we, all of us, prepare to listen and to receive what it is that you have to say to us. Move us and shape us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Teach us, Lord, from your word we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we've been looking at the question of what does a life of faith look like? We're doing a three-week series called Trust in the Unseen. What does it mean to have faith? How do you get it? How can you lose it? How do you get it back again? And uh, really the reasons are twofold. Uh, the first one came out of our corporate reasons, our community reasons here at Northside. And, and it is to be real and to recognise that in this season of leadership transition, this new season of Northside, uh, as we head into the second half of this year, that is going to be natural. It's going to be biblical that we as a church uh, individually are going to have our doubts and we're going to have our nerves and we're even going to lose a little bit of faith from time to time. And so it's very important that we come back to see how is it that we regain and rebuild and encourage one another in that faith. But it's also, there's a personal reason to this as well. And it's through all the stories that I hear as your, as your pastor. Stories of uncertainty, uncertainty about job situations, uncertainty about relationships, uncertainty about, uncertainty about health situations. That we're a community that's always having to look at how we deepen our faith. And so really it's the question that in, in the face of that uncertainty, how can you live a life of power? How can you live a life of equilibrium and of balance? How can you live a life of poise and of grace and of steadiness and of greatness and of fearlessness so that you can face anything? What's great about the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, the faith chapter, which we're going to look at for the whole three weeks, is that it, it, it gives us that. It talks about that. And last week we learned that faith actually begins not by some supernatural event, but it begins by thinking. It actually begins by thinking about specific bits of information, the information that we're going to talk about tonight, the Word of God. Uh, but we're going to see how that then translates now into action. And so we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. And then I'm going to read just verse 7, because we're going to look at this interesting guy in this chapter called Noah. Anyone heard of Noah? Yeah, that's right. We think of Noah, we think of uh, overhead projectors and cardboard cutouts in Sunday school, if you're lucky enough to be a Christian all your life. He was the guy who built the ark, Russell Crowe. <laughs> That's who we're talking about, if you want a picture. Hebrews 11, chapter 1. Now, faith is being sure 
of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand. That was last week. We think about, we use our brains to understand the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Then verse Seven. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. And by his faith, he condemned the world and he became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. As I said, there are words here in this book, if you've got one of them, that have the potential to change the world. Uh, there was a case study of this young guy. He was like 21 and he runs for the British Parliament and he wins And he gets in and he admits in his diaries that he really ran for parliament out of his own selfish ambitions. And and then it's on this ship, a slave trading ship in between Africa and, and, and England, somewhere on this slave trading ship that he has this experience in 1785 that he writes to his mate William, who would later become the youngest ever British Prime Minister, that he was in the some form of spiritual transformation. He called it the Great Change. Uh, what he was really describing is his conversion to Christianity. And he comes back from this trip, and in that moment he said, God Almighty has set before me two great objects, the abolition of slavery and the reformation of manners. Side note, how's that for a calling? (laughs) And it'd it'd be 20 years of frustration before carrying to the House of Commons to even begin to consider this abolition and it'll be 13 more years of consecutive defeats in the house before this now slightly older man would see slavery wiped out from the British Empire and it would trigger a movement around the world that would affect guys like Abraham Lincoln for example over in the United States and this other guy years on called Martin Luther King, who would, of course, proclaim that famous speech from the steps in Washington. This young guy, his name was William Wilberforce, and his story, as they say, is is the story behind the song of Amazing Grace. Now, they're the same words, and wouldn't it be fair to say that he deserves a verse in this chapter, don't you reckon? If we could write the modernised version of the Bible, verse 8 says, By faith... By faith, William Wilberforce, after defeat after defeat, enacted legislation that would change the course of history. By faith. And here's the struggle for me. Let's ground it a bit. The struggle for me is that when I look at my life, when we look at our life, my struggle is that I take these words that Will would have read, these words of this guy called Jesus, and I think it's the same information and it's the same faith. But why the difference? Why the determination? Why the doggedness? Why the resolution? Why the picking himself up after defeat after defeat? Why the steadfastness? Why the sacrifice? When we look at his faith, on the basis of last week and what we said, here's here's a mistake we shouldn't make. We shouldn't say, oh, William was God-inspired. William had an extra dollop of faith cream on his dessert. Uh, William had a Holy Spirit experience, or, an, or William was one of the crazy Christians. You know, the one that's a little bit quirky in the head and the synapses have gone wrong and they call it faith, but he was really crazy. We, we must not say, to, say that. There has to be something in the connection to this content that is missing in my life compared to his. 
And here's what I think it is. This is where we've been going. This is, where the, this is what the reformers actually talked about. Martin Luther, uh, the original guy in Germany, he, uh, they talked about how you would dissect faith and it was down into three separate things. Faith is number one, understanding. That's where we were last week. Then we're going to look at this week, faith as a census. That's a Latin word. You're going to get used to that tonight. And then it was faith as fiducia or trust. And that's where we're going over these three weeks. And so tonight we're going to look at a census. And what is a census? A census is the clutch of faith. This is the beauty of coming to Northside. You get to learn useless stuff that's basically got nothing to do with Christianity. But if you don't know how... how Clutches work. Has anyone ever driven a manual here? Had to learn how to. Yeah, we've got a few manual drivers here. Uh, it's the most painstaking experience of any learner driver's life because you, if there's anything that you've got to deal with, it's not the blinkers and it's not the steering wheels and it's not the mirrors. It's that stupid clutch, and you're bunny hopping your way or to down the road and you haven't even made it out of the driveway yet. And and the, the the clutch from the mechanical point of view, you see in a car you have this big thing called the engine, right? And then on the end of the engine there's this giant thing called the flywheel that's spinning around because of all the pistons. And then you have this giant thing in the middle of your car that is attached to the wheels out the end and it's called the transmission. And at the front of the transmission is this big plate that's supposed to just touch the flywheel and it's called the clutch. And when you drop the clutch, there's the term for you, when you drop the clutch, you press that into the flywheel and you engage with the power of the engine and that's when the wheels start smoking up. So in, in other words, there's something missing here. In the, a census is the clutch of faith. That there is an incredible, powerful force that is available to you and I tonight. And could it be that the reason that we don't see the same results and actions and fervor in our life is because we haven't dropped the clutch? that we haven't pressed into that great engine of faith that is the information of the Word of God. That's where we're going over these three weeks. So we're right in the middle. We're looking at the transition. So what is a census? A census is this. What is it? Here's the first way to describe it. It's the point where you go from believing in God to believing God. A census is a place where you go from believing in God to believing God. And there's a big difference. You see, believing in God's important, right? That was verse 6 last week. Verse 6 of this passage says, And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. So in order to have faith in God first, you have to believe in God. But what this is, what this is saying and the reformers were saying is that it's not enough just to believe in God. God. We must to some extent become convinced, convicted. We must assent is the modern word of this Latin. We must agree that what we've come to know about him through our thinking is true. And that's what verse 1 of this passage was getting at right now. It says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Certain of what we do not see. I love that last part of that phrase, um, certain. It, it's literally saying the, convi- the conviction of the pragmatron. It's a really weird word. It sounds like transformers were back there in the Greek version of the Bible. But here's, here's what a pragmatron meant, uh, a conviction of past events. So what it's literally saying here is that uh, living by faith is that I am convicted to live no longer on the basis of what is in front of me, but on the basis of past events. In other words, a Christian is a person who has moved beyond saying, I believe there is a God to I believe God. 
That they're not someone who just believes in their head, but on the basis of past events, they are persuaded that the information of Christianity is actually true. So here's what I mean practically. You come to faith when you start to intellectually say to yourself, if this is true, if Jesus really was alive, if Jesus really did walk and teach and build this community, if Jesus really did go to the cross, if Jesus really was the Son of God, if Jesus really was resurrected, then I need to change how I live now. If these past things are true, I need to change now. See what a census is? A Christian is somebody who says, if these past events are true, I have to change how I live now. And this guy called William in 1875, when he goes through his great change, he says, after it, he says to his mate, he says, my politics must now follow my convictions and my conscience. On the basis of what I've seen and I've experienced and the truth that's become real to me, everything else must change. Now, here's an example of a census of of moving from believing in something to believing something. Here's here's an example of it, and it's tragic, so I want to be sensitive to this, but it's probably the best way that I could describe it. But watching the YouTube videos of the 2004 Boxing Day tsunami, did anyone ever see those on YouTube? They are just uh, horrific. And what, what is, is frightening about some of them is that you can see the translations in what is being said. There are these tourists, there are families, and there are kids, and there are people in their bathing suits. And, and what is quite remarkable is that there's almost two different types of people. There are people sitting around on the beach, and they're sunbaking still, and you can see this wave coming in off the horizon, and you can see all the Thai, pe- all the Thai people over there in wherever it was, Band Arche or whatever it might be, one of those islands, um, they're all running and they're translating on this YouTube video and this line that got me that said, um, we need to tell the tourists. So in other words, the people that were running were the people who had experienced this stuff before. And, and these families that are still swimming with their kids on the beach, you know, I bet you if you ask them, do you believe in tsunamis, they'd say, yeah, I believe in tsunamis. But they, even in the face of what they saw, they didn't believe that this was a tsunami. The only reason why the tire people are saying we need to tell the tourists is, I put it to you, it's because they've, they've seen it happen before. They had a conviction, they had an census on the basis of past experience. And what happened? They ran. It changed their behaviour straight away. They were off. Are you guys with me? So living a life of faith means that you are the sort of person who connects that which has happened into the past to what you don't see in front of you now and that actually becomes your new reality. That what you see and what you feel and everything that you're doing, walking by sight, that is not real reality to you. It's the connection to past events that Jesus lived, he died, he breathed. There is a whole new reality that has happened that you can't see but is real to you. And so look, here, here's some practicalities in terms of what it means for you this week. You know, it, it, I've, I've been through this. It means, when, it means if you're single and you've been through your fourth failed date or your fifth failed relationship, that you go back into the Word of God and you see in Genesis that God's plan was, he says, it's not right for a person to be alone. 
and you live your life in the present of all you're seeing and this didn't work and that didn't work and that didn't work and you live all of your life on the basis of that census, that conviction. And you, you continue to be strengthened and you, there's a resolve about you that even in the face of the pain and the disappointment, you continue to move forward. There's resolve, there's greatness. There's many Wilberforces starting to emerge. So a, a census is the point where you go from believing in God to believing God. And then here's the other way that I describe a census tonight. A census is the moment... Or the moments when you arc up. Remember, this is about Noah, so that's a play on words. I'll leave that with you. Wow. Hey, I'll just throw them out there. You take what you need. It's when you arc up. Verse 7, by faith, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. And by faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah arced up. Now, people can read this way that the Urban Dictionary defines arcing up. Arcing up in our slang means that you get angry, you get frustrated. Uh, you arc up. And so we read that verse that Noah condemned the world. And that's how we're t- way too many Christians read this way too simplistic- simplistically. And they arc up. They shout at the world. They print banners. They go outside clinics. They, they get in the face of people. They do stupid things. They don't love the world. They think condemning the world is to shout them down and to tell them how wrong they are and to get in their face. And that's not what this means here. See, what it means here to condemn the world means to, to prove it wrong by firmly standing against it. I'm going to get into the nuance of that in a second. But here's, here's what Sam means by arcing up. That's A-R-K hyphen ing up, if anyone's listening to the podcast and they want to use it. Um, <laughs> here, uh, here's what I mean. Uh, to arc up is to live a life on the basis of God's unseen ways, so you eventually show the world up for what it really is. And here's the example. Noah's in there and, and God's saying there's a wave coming, a dark, unstoppable wave, a wave that's deeper than despair. And it's going to sweep everything before it away and nothing is going to stand in front of it. Nothing's going to stand up to it. Nothing's going to stop it. And I want you to get ready. And it's on that basis For years, Noah in the middle of nowhere builds an ark. You know, Noah, whilst the sun's shining and there's not a cloud in the sky and the birds are chirping (laughs) and the world around him is constantly sinning against God's commandments and they're not only doing it flagrantly, but, but they're laughing at him. They're laughing at him about it. And here's this guy building a boat in the middle of Alice Springs. He was arcing up. Noah was living life on the basis of God's ways and he stood out and he's standing firm and he's standing up. And, and that's what we are told here happens when you have a census, when you have conviction in your faith. You begin to arc up when you move from believing in God to believing God. That is your source of drive and your source of motivation. And all of this source is, is for a lifetime of activity that is based in the unseen. And it stands out. And what it means this week is that there are some of you who are going to arc up in your workplaces. And that doesn't mean you get up on a soapbox and you tell all your co-workers how terrible they are or filthy rotten sinners they are. 
But it's in, it's in those slight moments when the co-worker over the water cooler tells you that, uh, look, a, a one-night stand is what you really need. <laughs> that you're just getting too emotional in this Christianity stuff. Well, it's getting in the way of your romance life here. It's, it's going to be people who arc up when the financial planner sits down with you and looks at your budget and then they suddenly see that you're giving 3 or 5 or 10% away of your money away to this church and, it's, and they say to you that you could do a lot with this stuff. You could invest this stuff. And you arc up and you say, I already am investing it. Thank you very much. You, you begin to arc up. And so you want to know if you have a census. You want to know if you've got conviction tonight. Here's my question for you. What are you arcing up about? What's just one thing that you're arcing up about at the moment in life? Wil- Wilberforce had it. He-, he arced up about slavery. It took him 20 years to do it. And when 300 members of the British Parliament are all screaming and laughing at this guy, there's one guy in the middle of a political desert saying that this cannot continue. And on the basis of all that he, he had known in the unseen and he had connected the dots, he stood up and he was resolved and he was strong and he was unswerving on the basis of the unseen because he knew a God that said, all my children are created equal. And he arced up. Not for one year, not for two years, for 13 years, for 20 years. And over that 20 years, what history recorded was suffering and trial and resolution, determination and gravity and greatness and glory. Here's how you know what you're arcing up about. You'll drill down to your convictions when you ask yourself, what am I arcing up about? In other words, are there unseen aspects of your life that cause people to laugh at you this week? Are there unseen aspects of your life that even, heaven forbid, cause people to oppose you this week? That's when you know you're arcing up. That's when you know you have a sense. That's when you know you've got conviction. And in Sydney, as a person of faith, I can tell you it's inevitable. It's inevitable that that's going to happen to you. I'm asking you, is your unseen approach to sexuality, is your unseen approach to money, is your unseen approach to friendship, is it being lived out in such a way that you look like a boat builder in Alice Springs? If not, then part of the reason could be it's because, well, firstly tonight, maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you're not a person of faith, and that's okay, we're so glad you're here. <laughs> but what it means is if, if, if you're not arcing up and there's no difference, then really what it means is you haven't quite cottoned on, you haven't quite tapped your root system into the resource that will give you the power to do that. And the good news is if you do, then the potential for you is a life of greatness and stability and wonder. And if people aren't, if you're a Christian and you don't look like a boat builder in Alice Springs, then all it means for us, brothers and sisters, is we haven't dropped the clutch enough. We're still bunny hopping. <laughs> there's, there's, there's no forward travel in our faith at the moment. <laughs> and it means that you just need to draw on the power that our brothers and sisters of the faith in this chapter and in the centuries before us already have. You have the information, it just hasn't become real enough to you yet. What are you arcing up about? How do you get that conviction? As I finish tonight, it was amazing. Um, John Wesley, he's the guy who wrote a stack of all the different hymns. Mike, you can tell you all about them after the service. That's his job as the worship pastor. But I love what Wesley said in what some believe is his final ever 
note, ever written note, was to William Wilberforce over in England there. And he says, unless God has raised you up, you will be crushed by the tactics of men and even devils. Unless God has raised you up. And so what he got there is what we're talking about tonight is not some mechanical thing where, oh, I've just got to drum up a bit of conviction. What Wesley and what Wilberforce and what Newton and what all the great Christians of Britain understood back in that time is that this power is a power that comes into you from the outside. It's the same, it's the same power that came into these guys called the disciples and, and they went and changed the world and did great things. It's this power that takes this information called the Bible and the Word of God and it makes it real to you. And don't you remember that example of the disciples in the last night with Jesus? And Jesus says to his disciples, uh, he's talking about the way that, that he knows the Father and he's going to the Father and, and this young guy Philip pipes up and he says, oh Jesus, look, if you could just show us the Father, I'll really believe then. And Jesus says, Philip, don't be stupid. Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. (laughs) Haven't you seen all of the past events, Philip? Haven't you seen all the things, all the miracles, all the things I've done? Haven't you seen? And you still don't believe he didn't have a census. And Jesus then says, I'm going to send someone to give that to you. It's called the Holy Spirit, the counsellor, the guide. This this power from the outside to do that for you. (laughs) And here's how the Holy Spirit will work in your life tonight. This is how he will get you to arc up. You'll, you'll only arc up once you see that someone else arced up for you universally. That there was someone who was a boat builder out there in the back skirts of first century Palestine 2,000 years ago who also, like Noah, was a laughingstock. Who also, like Noah, in the midst of a society where the sun was shining and the birds were chirping and people were going their own way, was building an ark. And that, that great ark called the cross, it's at that ark that he was the laughing stock. Verse 35 of Luke 26 says, The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him and they said, He saved others, let him save himself if he's God, the Messiah, the chosen one. And the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine, vinegar and said, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. The sun was shining and the Son of God was building the ultimate ark. You see, to be a Christian is to recognise that there's a, there's a wave still coming. We've preached sermons on this. I don't want to sound like one of those old school preachers, but you need, I put it to you, you want the judgement of God. You want a wave to come and wipe out all that is bad and all that is horrible and all that is evil in the world. But anyone who is a Christian looks at themselves deep enough and says, what right, what right do I have to be spared from that? And, and yet we see at the cross this giant ark in which the ultimate Noah beckons to us tonight and he says, come in, hide in me. And so when the waves come and the storms go, they don't beat against us, they beat against him. And we are safe and we are hidden in Christ, as the Bible says. He's, he wants to invite you in tonight. And you'll never survive the ultimate storms of life unless you're in the ultimate ark. And so I just got to ask you, what, what moves you? Is there, is there a connection point? Is there a clutch point between the great engine of faith and your action tonight? Now, I, I'm, I'm talking to a room here of a hundred and something Wilberforces, Wilberfy, if we could pluralize it. <laughs> It's, it's the same information. It's the same faith. You and I just through his power got to drop the clutch. 
Let's pray.